Hi, welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. We pray that as you listen today, you are blessed and encouraged. Thank you so much for listening in. If you want any more information about our ministry, we'd love you to jump onto our website, harvestaustralia.org. Have a great day. And so I want to talk today on what I've called permeating culture. And what I mean by that is um, us bringing the kingdom of God into the world around us. It's a huge deal. It's something that we all have a heart for. And um, sometimes we get it um, right. Sometimes we get it wrong. But um, I've often found in a spirit-filled environment in a church that loves the power of God, the presence of God. We have so much lingo that we get used to and use. I mean, there's kind of the Christian lingo, and then there's the supernatural revival lingo that's even just another level on from that. It's weirder, it's crazier. It uses word like, words like portals. And uh, do you know what I mean? And, and as soon as you say that word, non-Christians go, what, are you Star Trek episode or something like this? What on earth are you talking about? And we're, we're, we're sort of proclaiming this great revelation in a portal and they're just thinking, what, what, it's, what is that? They're picturing a portal or something. I don't know. But it's funny how we can think we're being so spiritual and we're missing the mark so often. And, uh, and it's one of those things that's frustrated me in my journey over the years. I've talked about it even the last few weeks is, is when um, I've experienced God and been in an atmosphere where God's moving and, and we're seeing God, you know, we're reading about God and encountering him more and people around us. And there's that hunger and that atmosphere. And yet um, we go out a few hours later to the, to the shops or the deli and, and we just think, oh my gosh, this has no relevance to those people. And I believe God is absolutely set on bringing his kingdom to the whole world. And some will reject and some will accept. That's not our business. But our business is to bring the kingdom of God, if you like, wherever we go. And we hear a lot about this t- in today's day and age. But I, I've just written something here that I thought sums it up. And I, I've said, if we have incredible encounters but have no transformation, we reduce God to a teacup. He's a river and must flow on from one to another. And what I mean by that is that it's frustrating for me if God only moves in this place. If he only moves here on a Sunday morning or a weekly meeting or a prayer meeting or a time where we gather in this place and God's presence is here and, and we love worshipping. If that's where it ends, then maybe there's some, some more to it that we're not quite getting. If I think about it, Modern revivals typically happen in churches, but historical revivals typically happened outside of churches. And that does something to my head because we have got church so good. We have got things so worked out that it should be the other way around. We've got it so well um, attracted and adapted and processed and programmed and, and adopted and systems and bags and things and everything. And we love all these things. But it should be that the world is running into that at greater numbers than ever before because of we've actually got good at this thing. But what we often see is when we get good at something, um, we, we put ourselves in the way. 
And so if you look back, if you, you think of original Pentecost in Jerusalem, and we'll read about it. Um, you've read it so many times, a lot of you, that you know half of it off by heart. But they're in Jerusalem. They've been praying. They've been waiting. Pentecost, um, pente meaning five or 50, 50 days after resurrection of Jesus. And so we, we've been waiting 50 days, if you like, when we read in Acts chapter 2. They've been tarrying, they've been praying, waiting for this Holy Spirit. And then he descends, he falls in that place. And then it becomes a public event. And I think that's symbolic of what God wants to do. Not necessarily just to offend everyone, but it's symbolic that the kingdom of God must advance. It must go somewhere. Otherwise, it becomes a stagnant pool and no one likes a stagnant pool. I've noticed around our farm, there's, when there's rain, there's lots of little stagnant pools. And the mozzies love it. They breed, algae breeds, horrible stuff breeds in a stagnant pool. God's a river. His presence is a river. And it's got to go somewhere. It's got to flow somewhere. And so with that in mind... I want us to read from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to take three parcels. I hope, hopefully I read the same parcels that come up on the screen. We'll see how organized we've got today. So we'll read from uh, verse 1, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And it goes on and lists a whole lot of different uh, lands that people had come from. From Jerusalem, We won't list them all, so we'll pick it up at verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. I think that was the media group. <laughs> verse 14, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. They'll get drunk a little bit later on in the day. <laughs> no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And it goes on. We know that very well. And I want to pick it up, I think, at verse 37. And he explains, basically preaches the gospel to them, explains the gospel, gives them history, gives them context, a really well-articulated message. And then it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do to be saved? Uh, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it continues. What I want to bring out of that today is three things that I think are really important, really practical um, to, to us who hunger for the presence of God. We want encounters with God. We want to see signs and wonders. We want to see his kingdom advance. And we all have a hunger for that. 
But sometimes we either get frustrated or we get it wrong or we just don't know how this is relevant to that. And I think Peter gives us some great keys in this passage on what it means to operate in an apostolic kingdom, um, supernatural realm, and then make it relevant to the culture around him. Three things that I want to bring out today. The first one is blending. The second one is loving. And the third one is translating. I was having coffee with a pastor this week from a, a fellow church similar to ours, hungry for the supernatural, loves God. And um, we we're just explaining how over the, the years, um, it can be difficult if our pursuit of the Lord in such a way that we hunger after that, that this, the supernatural realm of God, but we don't quite know how to make that relevant to people living everyday lives. And he recounted an, uh, an experience in 2007. I think he was down here with his wife and pastoral team when uh, Roland and Heidi Baker were here and Larry Taylor and, and I don't know who else. But, um, and he was just reminding me of the impact that that had on them and many, many other churches across Australia, actually, at that time when God was moving very powerfully um, and how significant that was. And it, it, it just got me thinking to the incredible outpourings of the Spirit both here and in other places and across the world. And, you know, really, if I were God, I would keep the fire burning. Like, why pull it away? But it's, it's one of those things I'm going to have to ask him when I get there. Why don't you just keep the revival fires burning at an intense heat all the time? It would be a lot easier and then you could even just dial it up a little bit in the southern suburbs, you know, in the region that we live in so that we can have kind of a Hebridesy, you know, Welsh revival type experience. But we can't make that happen. And so sometimes in the supernatural walk, we hit these walls. We hit dry patches. We hit corridors where there's no God's presence, where there's no opening. And we hit frustration and we dry out and we get disappointed and we, we, we even real, sometimes think, okay, well, that was for a season and it's not for now. And, and uh, we, we go to places that maybe we shouldn't go to because it's God's sovereign hand that moves in these situations. Yes, we pursue him and he acts. So I think Peter actually does something really good here. Because in the midst of revival, 3,000 were saved that day. I call that revival. In one small little area, yeah, I reckon. Um, we'll take that anyway. <laughs> but, and then we'll plaster it all over Facebook so the whole world knows that this is the place God's chosen to move. And everywhere else should feel bad because he didn't move there, he only moves here. Sarcasm, okay. But it's what we do in Christianity, isn't it? But Peter gets up in the midst of an outpouring. I mean, we're talking tangible tongues of fire falling on people's heads. I call that rather significant. And it really fulfills prophecy. It's a sign and a wonder. It's a true sign and a wonder. One of those things that you just can't explain, but it points to God. It's a sign pointing to God. 
And so they're, they're seeing these things, people begin being baptized in the Holy Spirit. They'd never really seen this stuff or heard of this stuff before. So they were on shaky ground, literally. You know, the wind was blowing in and the Holy Spirit was moving powerfully. And, you know, 120 believers gathered and many of them began speaking in other tongues uh, in gibberish and going out into the town because others were starting to see and hear. I mean, this is like chaos. It's chaos. And I've been a little bit surprised or reminded of this every time I'm in either a meeting or a situation where God's moving really, really powerfully. And if you've, if you've been like me, when, there's, when the power of God's moving very, very strongly and a lot of people are manifesting in the spirit, there's a point where, where your tachometer in the spirit just goes, am I comfortable anymore or am I getting uncomfortable? Anyone else got that spiritual tachometer? Well, believe me, pastors have it, and the dial is down even further. Because you're beginning to think, how many people are going to leave my church now? How many people are going to complain how noisy and crazy how weird this is? How many letters and emails am I going to get this week? Okay, are we going to have anyone left coming to church next Sunday? So these are all the things. The, the tachometer is like this. So Peter, his tachometer is going, okay, well, this is getting crazy, but I know God's in this. I've never seen anything like this before. So what does he do? He gets up as a great leader does and he brings translation. He brings translation to what God's doing. He doesn't just leave it at the crazy conference. He then stands up in the public place and brings kingdom articulation to what God's doing. And he does it in such a brilliant way that the Jews and the people around can understand. Some of them mocked him. That wasn't, it's not our job to work out whether people are going to like us or not in the moment when God pours out or when he does something or when his influence begins to increase. Our job, I believe, is to translate the kingdom of God as well as we possibly can, to blend it into culture as much as we can, and to, in the process, bring the love of God. So we're not bringing judgment, we're bringing the love of God. And I think these three things are keys. It could be an individual encounter where God personally meets you, and encounters you and does something significant in your life, I believe these three things will help you in bringing whatever God's doing in your life to your people who are around you. Maybe not even a public place, just a friend. By blending, blending what he's shown you and done in your life into their life. So it's not all about you. It's about how is this going to affect and how is this going to bless other people. Uh, so often that uh, we, we hear of encounters and, and we love hearing of encounters. But I mean, I've heard so many encounters and miracle stories that I must admit after most of my life hearing speakers come in and tell of these phenomenal miracles uh, about people getting out of wheelchairs and it raises some sort of expectation. And they come into church, so I'm sitting there, um, you know, hearing it maybe for the first time. I think, this is awesome. It's going to happen. And it doesn't happen. And then you hear it again. You hear it again. You hear it again. So please don't tell me all your revival stories from Africa because I have them too. <laughs> but let's permeate our culture. Let's permeate our culture. And that's the culture around us, bringing the kingdom of God in a language that people understand that's not in a far-off distant land. I love revival stories. I still love them, still read them from time to time, and still uh, get my faith stirred by them, but it's not permeating our culture. Believe me, if you go to uh, anywhere and start talking to the shopkeeper and just say, hey, wouldn't it be amazing to have like the Welsh revival? They'd be like, what? What on earth are you talking about? 
I have no idea what you're talking about. Or, you know, Pentecostal revival from just over 100 years ago. They don't have a clue what that means. Toronto outpouring. They don't have a clue what that means. Or list off any of the other amazing things that we celebrate and we love, but it doesn't mean anything to our culture. To permeate culture means to take the encounter, the presence, the person of Jesus Christ who is inside of us and begin to release that in a way that people will understand. And it's different for every person. And so blending... um, Peter does this so well because on the day of Pentecost, we can actually see that he is taking something that really he could have actually said, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this. I don't want everyone to leave my church. Get back into that upper room right now before anyone sees you because they're going to think we are loonies. No, what he does is he says, okay, God's moving. He's doing something here. But these people have no idea what's going on. These people are confused. They are baffled. And so with an articulation that only God can give, but also with wisdom and counsel, and you can see he's a learned man, he stands up. And this man who denied Jesus three times not long ago becomes the rock of the church. And this is the day he stands up and becomes the rock of the church. Jesus prophesies and speaks. it. And so interestingly enough, what does he do? He uses history and he says to them, guys, remember the history, remember the prophecies of Joel, remember what scripture says. This is all part of that fulfilling of scripture. And they all knew that. So he's speaking their language. He's, he's speaking their currency. And it's kind of like us making sure we don't miss the mark with our audience by trying to be hyper-spiritual, super-spiritual, intergalactical or whatever it is, proclaiming incredible revelations, but it doesn't mean anything to the people around us. And so when we blend, we actually want to be able to love people and translate the kingdom of God in a way that isn't judgmental. You're not experiencing what we're experiencing. But actually, you are welcome into this experience. You're welcome into this experience. Here's what God's shown me, and I'd love to, this to have an effect on you if you want it. But some won't want it. And that's, that's the other thing we've got to realize is that there are times where people just, they just don't want who we are, what we've got, or what God's doing, and that's okay. They might mock. They might, you know, go cross-eyed. They might just think you're a weirdo. That's okay. It's, it's just one of those things about us learning how to translate the kingdom of God. And I, I think Peter does, he sets this up, and if you ever need advice on this, I think go to Acts chapter 2 and then read what he actually says. It's a brilliant sermon. It's a brilliant articulation. So we have an outpouring and then we have an articulation. So often when we have the outpouring, we forget about the articulation because we think the outpouring will be enough to draw in the thousands and finally the multitudes are going to come in. But sometimes they actually need an articulation. It could be love, might be hospitality, it might be a different language. It it might be in whatever way it is to permeate our culture around us. An outpouring in a church is probably not going to do it. And, you know, we've been a church that hungers and thirsts for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We'll still do that. Been to plenty of places where God's moving. But something I've noticed when I'm talking to pastors, particularly in Australia and um. Who, who have moved in similar circles to us and hungered for God's presence, is that there is a dissatisfaction 
that that outpouring didn't do what we expected it to do. It didn't do what we expected. It didn't grow churches. In fact, it shrunk a lot of churches. It didn't necessarily see a lot of souls saved. And some of that fruit that we thought would come from all of that, we're not necessarily seeing. And yet we, we, I mean, as you know, we did many, many, many conferences and hungered and worshipped and loved what God was doing. So there's a key that we were missing that we've been talking about and hungering for. And as we talk to other leaders, we realize that God will move whether we like it or not. But he's given us some keys. He has given us some keys to translate that outpouring or inpouring or baptism or whatever you want to call it to be able to permeate the culture around us to bring the kingdom of heaven. It's not just going to happen automatically. If it was, he might as well just zap us all now, send us to heaven, zap the earth with this phenomenal outpouring of fire and we all be done with it. And save all the messy stuff in between. And we wouldn't that be incredible. But no. He's the Father God. He's in full control. He knows everything and he's everywhere. And yet, he is trusting his kingdom to an extent to you and me. To be able to translate love and blend into the people around us in such a way that we can articulate the inpouring or outpouring of the Holy Spirit Pentecost, baptism, visions, dreams, signs, wonders, whatever God's doing in you. He's trusting you and me to be able to translate that and bring that in a way that our culture can actually receive it. doesn't mean we have to compromise at all. It just means we have to find out that special source of how we do that. Interesting with, with, when we talk about love, because... It's one of those things that it's easy to say, hard to do. And I often grapple with in situations because out of the title of love, we can feel compelled to do everything for everyone. And I don't know about you, but you'll quickly learn that you can't do everything for everyone. Because even when you try to do some things, it might get taken the wrong way and not taken very lovingly. And you think, okay, I shouldn't have even gone and done that. I've wasted a day or an hour or stressing about this and I I shouldn't have been there. So loving is not meeting everyone else's expectations about you. Loving is knowing your father, knowing who you are and being you and being the good you, not the bad you, (laughs) because we all have a little bad one somewhere. But when we discover who we are, And we actually be ourselves. We're the best translators of the kingdom because we're actually speaking our language. We're not trying to speak a different language. I can't speak Farsi very well. But if you've ever gone along on a Saturday night to the Persian church, the worship's wonderful. But you don't have a clue what you're singing. But but it's great. But if you actually then wanted to have a conversation, I, I mean, I don't even know how to say hello or goodbye. But it's interesting For these guys on a Saturday night, they're worshipping away and they're speaking and there's conversations going on. It's a whole culture going on that I'm completely outside of because I don't speak the language. So actually being you means learning your language. I've got a great quote from Paul Scanlon. 
He says, don't rush to fill your lives with things that are not for you just because you feel like you're falling behind. So often we feel like we're missing out on something. Someone else or something else or someplace else has got something better that we don't have. And so we make attempts in our lives to get there. And we put various things in. Sometimes they're good things, but sometimes they're just not us. They're just not us. And so by being who God's created you to be and me to be, we speak our language best. We translate best. When it comes to loving, it's very important, I think, that even when we look on the day of Pentecost, you wouldn't say, I mean, it's not the kind of chapter you'd read at a wedding where it's all lovey-dovey and everyone's trying to feel warm and fuzzy and um, hope and pray that this couple stays together for the rest of their lives. And, and uh, you have to do that this day and age. But, but it's not really the typical passage, is it, for, for that kind of uh, a love encounter with God. And yet it's God visiting his people here on earth, which is the expression of love. But again, Peter somehow brings this thing together and connects the dots. And this, this is the key to everything I'm saying. If we want to permeate culture around us in work, at university, in our families, in our relationships, in different spheres of life, we've got to learn how to connect the dots from us to other people's hearts. And we do that best when we're ourselves, when we love easily, not in a forced way, no one can use love as a weapon against us to try and pull something from us. Love is given, not taken. And so if you're ever feeling people manipulating you with love, like you should be doing this for me, that's not love. Don't do it because you'll do it with the wrong heart anyway. And you won't get rewards for it because the Bible says do it with a good heart. Then you'll get rewards. And so when we learn to what say, we say no to this, we say yes to this, we're not going to be manipulated by any other person. We're actually going to do it freely and operate in an anointing that looks like us, not anyone else. We be ourselves. We translate well. We join the dots. We join the dots between us and the Father, between his presence and what he's doing in our lives. Maybe it is to share. Maybe it's not to share. Maybe it is for other people. But we do it in such a way that doesn't make anyone else feel bad. And I think, to be honest, sometimes this is where we got it wrong in outpourings of the Spirit over the years, it's almost been a bragging point. And therefore, we've been robbed of some of the favour and some of the influence that we could have had if we actually look and say, this is nothing of our doing. This is nothing of our doing. This is all of the sovereign hand of God and He's moving in this place and we're hungry for it. And... It's not about everyone coming and gathering in one little dot on the earth because God is everywhere and his power is the same here as it is anywhere in the earth. But if we learn to join the dots, permeate the culture, blend in, love what God's doing, love people with not compulsion or obligation or manipulation or any of these things operating in and around us and we're actually giving freely, then I believe the Spirit of God is free to operate all the time, all the time, all the time. And generally, God comes on us to work through us. And when we realize that, yes, he wants to visit us 
so that we can have an intimate relationship with him, so that we can please him. And that's our ultimate desire here on earth, isn't it? That we would please the Father. And in that place, he enables us to have a relationship with Jesus, the Father, Holy Spirit, that then, I believe, has an effect on other people around us. And that's what I think Acts chapter 2 really summarized for us, is that there are power encounters, there's transformation that takes place, there's healing of the sick, there's signs and wonders, there is incredible things available to you and to me in the kingdom of God. But how well we translate will affect a huge amount of the effect on culture that we have, on the people around us. And I think that, like me, I think you hunger for the same thing. And that is not just a one-hit wonder, but actually for transformation, for cultural influence, and for the kingdom of God to advance, even in this southern region, for the kingdom of God to be lifted up and advanced, and for people to look and to, to be amazed, not look at that bunch of weirdos. They can do that if they want. But wow, these people actually have something. They have something inside of them. They have someone inside of them. There's an authority. There's a favor. There's a wisdom on them. And I believe that's a lot of what Peter was doing on the day of Pentecost, was articulating, guys, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. Not just the tongues of fire, but this is fulfillment of prophecy. And this is so we can go forth and proclaim the gospel. This is so we can go forth and have an effect on the environment around us. So let's stand today.